All right, we start on time over here at Home Church. Can somebody say amen? That's right. Let's all stand to our feet. We're going to take a few moments to say hello to one another. So if you can, um, just get up, make your way around. And I would encourage everyone to get up and make their way around and say hello to somebody. Amen. I've been reborn Resting in Jesus Leaning on the Lord With the wind beneath the wings Of your spirit I will soar All the chains that held me once are gone Lifted by your love I've been reborn Resting in It doesn't matter what the people say Cause I'm resting in Jesus Come whatever, come what may I'm leaning on the Lord He won't let me fall away Cause I'm resting in Jesus Till he takes me home to stay He'll be leaning on the Lord All right, let's find our seats this morning, church. Amen. So we have a few announcements as we get started this morning. We do not want to miss any of this. Uh, first and foremost, let's see here. I'll just start with this right here. Last month in the home cafe, um, our kids were working the cafe. The kids were kind of ma helping making the coffees. That's why everything was going so quick because um, our children were helping the cafe. Uh, things were just, I mean, like there was no line. Um, uh, our kids appreciate your patience. Our kids raised, and look, it doesn't sound like a lot, but for, for kids, I got to be honest with you, for the kids, it was a lot. Our kids raised in one month $1,000 in home cafe. <laughs> That's right. And then um, Harvest Festival, um, we raised uh, a total of $1,000 as well. Amen. Uh, we have welcome cards in the pews. If you're new, visiting with us, go ahead and fill out your name. You can, if you're interested in something, you can just put your name down. If you have a prayer request, let us know. Um, we do have a situation this morning. Linda Bailey, if you guys know Linda Bailey, her brother uh, is on life support. And so we want to lift him up this morning. Um, I had my sister come down and pray uh, first service. Um, I'm Jeannie, in a moment, I'll have you come down and pray for him as, as well. Uh, we want to pray for him. Uh, how many know life is short? And we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We want to pray for him. Uh, and then I'll 
so Nelson has COVID. I want to lift up Nelson and Emily, the family. Uh, so we'll be doing that in a moment. Um, Celebration Sunday is November 20th. We'll be having one service. So next week when you come, uh, please be re- remember only one service will be starting at what time? Thank you. 10 o'clock. We'll be starting at 10 o'clock. Um, I'll be back preaching. I'm so excited. God has a word for all of us, and we'll be uh, celebrating with uh, baptism. So if you want to be baptized, if you want to get dunked, um, if you, I, heard, I heard somebody out there uh, last week said, Pastor, I want to be, be baptized. You're going to have to hold me down a little longer uh, because of everything that I've done. I said, no worries. I can do that. Um, so if you want to be held down 10 seconds, 20 seconds, just let me know. I can help you with that. Uh, but, but all jokes aside, baptism is a beautiful thing, amen? Yeah, Proclaiming, saying, you know, I'm going to start over. I've maybe been baptized before, but I want to redo it. I want to be baptized again. Sign up, be baptized. As a matter of fact, we'll just do it right now. I need, somebody asked, just told me just right before service started they want to be baptized. Who here in second service, just here right now, wants to be baptized? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you'd like to be baptized. Anybody here at all want to be baptized? Okay. One, two. Three. Anybody else? Let me get the baptized radar out. Nobody else? Anybody else want to be baptized? Okay. Let, the, let that sit with you. At the end of the service, if you want to be baptized, you can sp- still speak to me or uh, Ms. Jeannie, and uh, we can baptize. A membership class after, uh, after this service, lunch will be provided for the whole family. So if for some reason we don't have any extra food, we'll make sure we have extra food. Um, lunch will be provided for everyone Uh, membership class after this service. Um, Today is the last day for women's uh, ministry taking orders for the the pie sale. Um, If you can bake a pie, I know my wife and Jen and the ladies would really appreciate that. So if you can do that, that'd be awesome. Uh, The NMI, which is the Missions uh, Council, is collecting non-perishable food items and uh, they've been storing those over here in the uh, bin. So we appreciate you doing that. Um, Last but not least, Let's keep, it says right here, let's keep our children's area clear. Our security guards and uh, children's workers, I don't want to say frustrated, but they've been getting a little weary. Um, as people have been going in there, um, kind of conjugating and uh, talking, and then parents come and they're not, there's no room to pick up their kids. So church, can we help our security guards, please? Let's help our children's workers. If we want to speak to them or we need to talk to them, let's wait. Um, I know Ron's a likable guy. Everybody wants to talk to Ron. Hi, Ron. Let's say hi. To, yeah, hi, Ron. You know, uh, he's a likable guy. But let's let's give Ron some space. Let Ron serve, and then if we want to speak to Ron, let's let's just wait, and then uh, we can we have all day to talk to Ron. Amen. The worst case scenario, we have eternity because we'll be in heaven together to talk to Ron. Amen. Hallelujah. Again, I just want to say congratulations to our kids as they raised a thousand dollars in the home cafe in one month, and a thousand yes, and a thousand dollars raised Harvest Festival. So praise God for that. Um, let's all stand to our feet, uh, sister. I'd like you to come down as we pray for our brother um, Leon and as uh, Wong is his name, brother Wong, and uh, and then also well, yes, life support. And then also we want to pray for uh, Nelson and his family. Thank you. Father God Almighty, we lift up Wong. Lord, as he is on life support, may you just linger close. 
Father, we pray for the whole family and everyone wrapped around him, Lord Jesus. I pray that you move in each and every one of their lives, that they feel the very presence of God in this moment. Father, for those that have COVID, that you would bring them healing as well. Father, that you would restore them. And then, Lord, that uh, they would get to just get to hear your word online and get to be a part of the family, even at a distance. Father, we thank you so much for this service. Lord, may you bless everything that happens and unfolds, and may we enjoy worshiping you. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Let's have our choir come up this morning. Amen. Our choir sang last week, and they're singing this morning as well, uh, as our worship team is taking a break. Can we give our choir a hand this morning? Amen. We um, so appreciate them. And again, we just want to give God praise for what he did and uh, what he's doing in our church, what he's doing through you guys. And um, let's all bow our heads as we pray for the offering this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day, uh, getting us here safely. I, th- I just thank you, Lord, for these beautiful faces and uh, for this place that we call home. Lord, I pray this morning, um, as we sing to you, as we worship you, as we kind of set this time aside to just think of you, not anything else, not the week, not what happened, but what's going on right now. I pray we set this time aside, God, as you are here with us. Your Holy Spirit is here with us. I pray a blessing over the worship over the songs, over the music, as well as the offering. God, I thank you, Lord, for the testimonies of those who've been giving faithfully and what you've been doing already in our finances. And Lord, the the enemy has also been attacking some of us as we've been stepping out in faith. And so this morning, not only do we rebuke Satan, but we rebuke the devourer. We rebuke the spirit of mammon and greed, selfishness and greediness. We rebuke it in Jesus' name. I pray this morning that we would be cheerful givers, that we would give of our first fruits. And Lord, as we honor you with the 10%, you will bless the 90%. The blood of Jesus over the gift and the giver. We believe your word. We test you this morning. We thank you. We give you what is yours. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's children said, amen. Be blessed. Amen.
every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Philippians 2.11.
believing you may have life in his name. John 20, 31. Jesus, what a name. We love you, Lord. We lift our voices to sing your praises and thank you for all that you do for us. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, that you will always take care of us. No matter what we're going through, no matter what the situation is, help us to remember that you will take care of us. We lay our lives down and thank you for doing that, Lord. What a promise. And we're reminded that there are over 800 promises in the Bible and all of them you will keep because you are a promise keeper. Praise the Lord for our choir, for these wonderful verses, these words that we can sing praises to you. And Lord, this morning we pray a mighty blessing and an anointment over our speakers, Matt and Amanda Fries. Anoint their words and enable everybody, whether it's in person or online, to hear that there is hope. No matter what comes our way, 
you are always there. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus. And this morning, as we sing praises to you, we pray that our worship would also be with our hearts. Purify our hearts that we may worship you in spirit and in truth, because we've asked this in Jesus' name. Amen. I like that verse that says, Kings and kingdoms shall all pass away. But there's something about that name that won't pass away. It's not going away. It's not fading away. Jesus is here to stay. Can somebody say amen? amen. Let's sing out that chorus one more time. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. offering this morning church amen thank you lord thank you choir we appreciate you amen you may be seated this morning hallelujah so um we have a, a special treat for us this morning um, um uh, this morning i was bragging on them we they're not only loved um that you can't have one without the other um and you'll see why this morning um we so appreciate them in their ministry and i'm believing god's going to speak through them to you this morning so without further ado can you please help me give Matt and Amanda, a warm welcome. Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning. Franklin, we always look forward to his good mornings. He's the best good mornings. Good morning. <laughs> there it is. I love it. Uh, as always, we are very excited and very pleased to be able to speak to you this morning. The title of our sermon is Anchor of the Soul. When we were approached to speak again, and we're, we were talking about what to, our topic was going to be, we realized that we have accidentally preached a series. Because the first time we spoke to all of you, months and months ago now, we spoke on faith. And then more recently, our sermon was on love. And so we thought it was appropriate to speak on hope today. We'll have all three covered in that way. So hope, being the topic of this sermon, can seem a little vague. If you do a quick Google search, you'll find the definition, a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. So it seems pretty straightforward. I mentioned this in first service too. I think 
any kid, as it gets closer to Christmas, can be able to give you that definition of hope, right? <laughs> They're waiting in that expectation, that desire for a certain thing to happen. When we looked at the Hebrew words for hope, specifically those in the Old Testament, I found two. The first is yakal, which seem, means to wait for, which is pretty simple and straightforward. The second definition is kava, which means to wait, but kava is related to the Hebrew word for cord that's pulled under tension. And that gives a different idea of hope. This idea that we are waiting, but kind of under unpleasant circumstances, under this tension, under something pulled really tight. I find this cord, as I'm reading through the Old all the way through to the New Testament, as we often suggest many of you do, that there is a cord of hope that runs from the beginning to the end and then into eternity. And it's pulled tight. And all of us here and now are living in that tension, that expectation. One of the stories that I thought of to help frame the rest of this sermon as well is a conversation I had with a coworker of mine a long time ago now. Um, I'm a nurse, and so we talk about a lot of things during our long shifts. And we were talking about Alcoholics Anonymous and their 12-step program. If you are unfamiliar, the first step is admitting powerlessness over alcohol. The second is placing your belief in a power greater than yourself that can restore you. So my friend actually found this to be inappropriate. She had told me that she was not a Christian, although she had been raised going to a church. Um, she had stopped going a long time ago. And she thought it was strange because everyone has lots of different belief systems. There's atheists, there's people who believe in other gods, there's, there's no reason why they should make it a requirement in this 12-step program to place a belief in a higher power. But I told her that it makes complete sense because if these individuals had the power to release themselves from alcoholism, they would have done it already. The point is their powerlessness and that their hope has to be placed out to, on something, a power, outside of themselves. So this is what we're kind of used to frame our sermon. Our goal is to contrast hope in yourself and hope in your own power to change your circumstances and a hope that is in a power outside of yourself. And so I'm going to turn it over to Matt to speak about hope in yourself. So the first level of hope that we're going to be talking about today is what we're going to be referring to throughout the sermon as a worldly hope. And that is going to be a hope that is based not in a power outside of yourself, but in your own ability to control your current situation. 
It's going to be an important definition to be using through as we put it up on the board. And I wanted to just take some time to work through that in your own mind, that it is a hope in your own ability to control your current situation. And we're going to talk through this using um, a biblical story in the book of 1 Samuel. So if you have your Bibles out, if you want to start turning there, we're going to 1 Samuel chapter 13. And we have to give a little backstory here. In the beginning of 1 Samuel, the people of Israel go to Samuel, who is a prophet and a judge, and they demand a king. And so Samuel prays to God and gets God's anointing over the first king of Israel named Saul. And it's important to mention here that Samuel is upset by this because they are essentially trying to get a new power structure in. And God tells him, don't be concerned about this. They aren't rejecting you. They're rejecting me. This is Israel acting for the first time-ish in their own capacity. They want a king that looks like them, that acts like them, and thinks like them. So when Samuel gives his anointing to Saul, he gives him a prophecy as well. And he says, at an appointed time, you will go to the city of Gilgal, and you will wait there for seven days. At the end of seven days, I will come, and I will offer the burnt offerings and the peace offerings to the Lord, and then instruct you on what to do. As a king, Saul at this point has had some military success. He has stopped a uh, Ammonite uh, intrusion on a siege on a city, and he has started to break down some garrison posts of the Philistines throughout Israel, and because of that, war is now brewing. So the Philistines are now raising an army, and they are raising it outside of the city of Gilgal. Saul brings his own army, and they are waiting for seven days as prophesied by Samuel. But as they wait, the Philistine army continues to grow, and it gets significantly larger than Israel's army. And so the Israel people get scared, and some of them start abandoning them. They start crossing the Jordan and just leaving. And so I want to set this up so that you have a sense of what Saul is going through. He is a fairly new king. He is leading a people into the biggest war that we have seen since Joshua. And as he sees this growing army that is already outmatching his, he's watching his army dwindle and desert him. Naturally, he's scared. And so this is where we come, 1 Samuel chapter 13. We're going to be reading verses 8 to 14. 13 verse 8 says, He, that is Saul, waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattering from him. So Paul, Saul, sorry, that was a <laughs> mistake from the New Testament. So Saul said, bring in the burnt offerings here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed, 
and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. When we first read this, I expect there to be a little confusion. It certainly was for me. You have Saul. He's in kind of an impossible situation. He's waited the appropriate amount of time. He doesn't see Samuel. And so he offers offerings to the Lord. That seems like a good thing. But Samuel comes up and says, you have acted foolishly and you have disobeyed the word of the Lord. And so we have to take a step back to figure out and ask ourselves, where exactly did Saul act wrongly? So we're going to go back to this worldly hope definition because my contention is that Saul acted poorly by having a worldly hope. Number one, he was concerned with his own ability to change things. What is the problem with offering sacrifices to God? It's that he didn't trust in God or God's representative. He had been given a word directly from God through Samuel that said, at the end of seven days, I will be there and I will guide you. And instead of falling back on a trust in what he has heard, he acts in fear in the ways that he feels like he can. He panicked when the people were leaving him without consideration of the past of how God has liberated his people. God liberated the people of Israel from Egypt, which at that time was the greatest empire in the world, and he did it without a single soldier. What's the problem with an army that's dwindling? In the book of Judges, when Gideon goes up against the same Philistines, I mean, not the same ones, they were dead, but <laughs> the same group of people, God intentionally whittles down the army so that he can showcase off his own glory. These are stories that Saul no doubt would have known. But instead of trusting in the provision and the faith of God, he's living in the moment and trying to force everything that he sees into a box that makes sense to him at that time. The other takeaway here is that it doesn't seem like he sacrificed to please God. What he says is, I saw the people were scattering from me, I saw the army of the Philistines gathering, and I realized that I had not sought the favor for the Lord, so I forced myself to offer these sacrifices. Does that to you sound like somebody who is sacrificing out of love of God? Somebody who is sacrificing because God is holy and perfect and that is what he has commanded? Or does that sound like somebody who's trying to make a down payment? Somebody who says, if I do this, then God will owe me victory. 
He is in line with his own ability. So on one hand, this feels a little unrelatable because it is a story of a king who has now shown that he will not rule under God's authority. He is going to take on his own authority and rule as he sees fit. But on a more relatable level for everybody in here, this is a story of somebody who has failed to trust in God's provision and look to himself and his own actions for his hope in the future. The second thing that happens here, in line with our definition, is that he is concerned only with his current situation. Verses 13 and 14 in this chapter, Samuel says to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. If you had followed the will of God, your line would have ruled forever. And he says, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Now, this is not just a condemnation on Saul saying that after you, your kingly line will end. It is the proclamation of the line of David coming. And if you guys have spent time in the rest of 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel, you might think to yourselves, why does David get to rule forever then? I mean, okay, Saul messed up. He didn't trust God. He sacrificed inappropriately. He didn't put his hope into God. But David killed the dude to hide his adultery, right? Doesn't that seem worse a little? And so what is the call here? That God is searching somebody who will seek after his own heart. If you think that David shouldn't have had a continuing line because he was in some ways a worse person than Saul, then your hope is in your own works. Am I doing the right things? Am I being good enough in order to have a hope for the future? But what God declares is not, it is the person who does the best, it is the person who seeks after me, and that is something that David consistently did. David sinned and messed up in ways that you and I will never even be in the position to be able to do. But at the end of it, he heeded the words of the prophet Nathan. He continually went back to God and said, what shall I do now? My faith and my hope and my love are all yours. The world that we live in is constantly asking you to live with a worldly hope. We assume and we push that you need to hope in your own ability to change your current situation. And it makes sense, because if we live without the idea of eternity, there is no reason not to live the best way you can, the way that you want to for today. But if we have a reliable, loving, and eternal God that we are seeking, then we have to find our ultimate hope outside of ourselves. We have to realize that the things that are within our control are not the things that will truly make us have hope.
So moving to this second portion of what it means to have hope in God and in hope in his work despite your current circumstances. We're going to go to the book of Psalms and we're gonna go to chapter 42. We're gonna be reading verses one through six. So Psalm 42, verses one through six. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So when we read a psalm like this, we can actually glean some ideas about who the writer is, who is this psalmist. The first thing that we can determine is that he is a righteous man. This is based on the first couple of verses that he is panting for flowing streams. He's panting after God. He's thirsty for God's presence. He longs to be in communion with the living God. I say this because if you're someone who's wicked, you don't want to be in front of the judge. It's not like you're anxious to be in his presence if you know that you've done wrong. So he is a righteous man who longs to see God. Something interesting at the end of verse 2 is, when shall I come and appear before God? And this seems like a strange question because God is everywhere. So why is he asking when he should come and appear before God? But we have to remember that when this psalm was written, they had a temple where God's presence would actually live. And this temple had many layers to it, many rooms, with the innermost being covered from the outside by a veil in which the actual presence of God would be. And you had to be the high priest who was allowed to go into that presence only once a year. So when this psalmist is talking about when shall I come and appear, he's actually longing to go to a certain place to meet with God. The next thing I can take from this is that he was one of the leaders. It says in verse 4 that he's having these memories of how he would lead people and draw people and ask people to come with shouts of praise to God's presence. So it's not that he's just a righteous man. He also is what we would consider a leader in the church. He's someone who helped other people come into God's presence. And then, of course, we get to the other contrast here, that he's in a place of suffering. That he's in a place where his tears have been his food day and night. He's not eating because he's either in a place of mourning or of sorrow. There's something that's happened that has caused him to be in this distress. Another part of that, when he says, my tears have been my food day and night, 
He says, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? And to me, this sounds like a bitter question. Whether or not people outside of your life are saying it or you are, it stings a bitterness to me. When you're in a position where things in your life are going so badly that other people look at you and say, where's your God at? Why is this happening to you if you say your God is so great? It's also a tough question if you're in a place asking that yourself. That you're in a place of suffering that you say, where is my God at? These are tough questions. What I love about the Psalms, if you read through them, is that they're always, there's always this downturn, there's always this darkness, and then there's that hope at the end. Because he, the psalmist, the author of this, asks himself an important question. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. With this question, he is actually challenging his own thoughts and feelings and emotions in suffering. It doesn't matter what his suffering is. He is telling himself, why are you, why are you downcast? Why are you sad? This psalm reminded me a lot about a story that I know, and some of you may know, um, about the man Horatio Spafford. And Horatio Spafford was a lawyer and real estate investor from Chicago. And he lost his entire fortune in the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. During that time period, he lost his son from scarlet fever. Because his wife was grieving, he thought he, that he would give his wife a vacation and send his wife and his daughters over to England and that he would join them over there when he had finished taking care of his business um, because it was in ruins. On the way across the Atlantic, the ship that had his family on it had a collision and sunk. All four of his daughters did not survive. Of course, when his wife reached England and told him what had happened, he immediately got on a boat and went to sail after her. The captain of that boat, knowing what had happened to him, let him know when they were passing over the part of the waters where that ship had sunk. During this time, he was inspired to write a poem, and that poem became the song, It Is Well With My Soul. I think of this often when I see home decor or coffee mugs that have the phrase, it is well with my soul on it. Because I don't think that it captures even close the depth of the hope that this man had and the circumstances that he was in at that time. But I hope when you see that phrase or hear that song that that's what you think about. The question that this psalmist and that Spafford are asking us, is how is it well with your soul? It is well with our soul because all of our hope is in the salvation of God. What this does for us is produce an eternal mindset within our current suffering. That even despite your circumstances, you are able to look ahead to the hope and the promise that is in Christ. 
What I am not saying is that our suffering are, is invalid or that God is unconcerned with our problems. It, we won't turn there, but in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, we say, We do not have a high priest, meaning Christ, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Out of any religion in the world, any belief system, we have the unique, unique Christ, the unique Savior who chose to suffer with us and can understand our weaknesses and why it's difficult for us in suffering. But what this means is that hope placed on anything on this earth, and that can mean even the most sacred of things, like family, where you grew up, your nation, your job, hope placed on anything on this earth is temporary and fragile. One of the ways that I often think of this is um, something that I'm grateful for in my life is that I get to borrow Matt for a while. <laughs> I enjoy being married to him, it's wonderful. It's temporary, isn't it? In a sense. In the Bible it says everything is passing away. That doesn't mean the things of today aren't important but it gives you this mindset that is resilient in suffering. Christ sets us the ultimate example. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And unless you understand this hope that we have in salvation and eternity, the words joy and crucifixion don't belong in the same sentence. But they do, because Christ understood that his hope was in eternity and in our salvation. This psalmist, who wrote chapter 42, he's in a place of suffering. He is not give, giving himself a pep talk when he asks him, or when he tells himself, hope in God. You'll notice in the psalm, that it doesn't end the story with saying, oh, my circumstances miraculously changed, and now I have hope. He just tells himself, hope in God, my salvation, and my God. He is declaring that despite his circumstances, his salvation and hope are placed in God. If having this type of hope seems foolish to you, then I suggest you reprioritize. How do we reprioritize our thinking? It's in the psalm. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. We should long for God's presence and being in communion with God like we need water. We're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 6 and read verses 19 and 20. So Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We have hope because Jesus has gone before us. He is our forerunner. I thought of this example today because it was so slick outside. It was so icy. And I saw people helping other people to not slip. 
if you were the one helping, you're the forerunner. You're the one making the way easier for someone else. And that is what Christ has done for us. God lives in the most holy place where we, are, where we cannot go. But Jesus is our hope that has entered into that place behind the curtain. He is our ultimate hope. My hope for you is that you would thirst after God and need him like you need water. That you would put your hope in him because he is the only thing that is not passing away. This hope is not a small, hopeful feeling. It gives you that endurance through suffering. It gives you that mindset that says, even though this is what's happening in front of me, I hope in God. My hope lasts through eternity. That cord stretches all the way through to that eternity that is mine and that salvation that is mine through Christ. My hope for you is that you can say like the psalmist and like Spafford, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. So we're going to conclude this today with the question of what does it mean to have a biblical hope instead of a worldly hope? And by that I mean how does it actually play out and appear in your life to have this? In order to discover this, what it should look like, I think we need to ask ourselves some questions. If I truly 100% believed that Christ had died for my sins and because of that I am righteous before the eyes of God, how then would I treat my family, my friends, or my coworkers when they do things that upset me? What would my decisions look like regarding things like money, time, or activities if I was 100% certain that I owed everything to God? What does it look like for somebody who has total faith in the plan of God when they feel stress at work or at home? If somebody has complete faith that God is working a plan in their lives, what does that look like when they lose their job, when they lose their spouse, when they lose their child? How does that play out? And if you have to ask yourself, are these the way that it's playing out in my own life? Brothers and sisters, we are at a near constant crossroads. My mother-in-law likes to say that you're always one choice away from completely changing your life. Sometimes good, sometimes not so good. But those choices are constantly running a thread through our lives, and you have to know an answer to the questions, will I believe what culture has to say about priorities? Will I accept the bad news that the world tells me about living your best life now? which implies that it doesn't get any better? 
or will I fall on my knees before the good news of Jesus Christ that there is an eternal hope in those who are in him? If you don't know Jesus today, you need to know there is no middle ground. A lack of decision is a decision. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, came down to this earth and lived a life that we all should, but none of us can. And then he died the death that we all deserved and took the punishment for us. After three days, he rose from the grave, and that gives us hope over our own resurrection. If you are not a follower of Christ, you can make that decision to follow him right now. You can place your hope, your faith, and your love in the care of the one person who has ever truly earned it. If you have questions or concerns about following Christ, do not hesitate. Talk to a leader in this church or just a friend who's a believer and meet Christ because there is no middle ground. If you do know Christ, but throughout this sermon, you realize that you do not have a hope that surpasses the world, repent. Put your hope in Jesus in the same way that you would put your faith and your life and your love in his hands. You have to find a way through prayer, through reading the scripture, through true trust in Christ to realize that your ultimate hope, the things that will truly define you, do not lie in your income or your employment or your marital status or your parental status because all of those fade like grass. One thing lasts. Put your hope in him. If we could all bow our heads, we enter a time of prayer. Father, thank you so much for giving us the grace and the mercy and the blessings that none of us deserve. We thank you for creating a path to come back to you. That after we have fallen, you have given us an option to commune with you. To enter into the Holy of Holies through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. And now as we bring Pastor Carlos back up to the front for the dismissal, I want to leave you with this benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. the deer panteth for the waters of my soul longing after thee you alone are my heart 
desire and I long to worship thee. You alone are my strength and my shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire and I long to worship thee. I really feel there's some, there's some people here this morning after our brother and sister just gave this word. You're not making a decision is making a decision. Make a decision today to give your life to Christ fully. To say, I'm tired of playing games. I don't want to be half in, half out. I want to be full in. I want to be, be in. God, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let the hurt go. I'm going to let the bitterness go. I'm going to let the past go. And God, I'm just going to serve you. Let's bow our heads this morning. I want to sing out that chorus one more time. I really believe there's some people here. And this is more than just becoming a member of the church. This is, this is you becoming a child of God. A child coming back home the prodigal son coming home, making a decision, saying, saying, God, I give you my life. I want to sing out that chorus again, and if you want to sing it, I encourage you to sing it. And that, we're singing that song, whether you're watching online or you're here in person right now, we're singing this song. I encourage you to give your life to Jesus, as our brother was saying. Give your life to Christ. Ask him into your heart. Ask him into your life. May he forgive you this morning. As the deer panteth for the waters, oh, my soul longeth after thee. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship thee. You alone are my strength, my shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship thee. Amen. Let's all stand this morning. I'm so glad, I said in first service, I'll say it again, I'm so glad that my hope is not in this world, because if it was, I would not be here right now. Um, I wouldn't be standing before you. I'm so glad that my hope is not in money, that my hope is not in my job, my career. My hope is not in the economy, or who's the president, or who's the governor. My hope is not in who are my friends. My hope is in Jesus, and him only. My hope is not in myself, because if that was the case, I would not be standing before you. My hope and our hope should only be in God. Can we give our brother and sister a wonderful hand for this amazing message this morning? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So real quick, again, please, if you're, if, you, um, uh, if you're attending our church and we have things coming up in the future, voting, 
uh, things that we'll be discussing as a church. And if you want your voice to be heard, become a member. Um, being a member, you don't have to sign your name in blood, okay? There's no, uh, you don't have to go to the mountaintop and sacrifice an animal, okay? There's no uh, scary thing here. Being a member is just saying, you know, Pastor, I want to, I want to, this is my home church, and I, this is, it doesn't mean you can't move out of the city and attend somewhere else. It just means, Pastor, this is my home, and I want to, this is where I want to be. This is where I want my covering to come from, and I want to say, um, it's, it's kind of like a marriage. You're saying, hey, uh, I'm going to. I'm going to link in, um, and, uh, and I would encourage you, come to, the, come to membership class. It's only about 40 minutes. It's not going to take up your whole afternoon. Uh, back in the day, I heard there was membership classes that were three days. We got lives, amen? We got, we got stuff we got to do. You know, come 40 minutes, may God speak to you, um, and, and become, become a member, be fed. And, um, and then we have, uh, real quick, we have play practice, bring your kids um, we were missing some. I remember I was talking to Mama Jane. There were some of the girls and boys uh, around the, the ages of five through six, seven, eight that were missing Friday night, which is okay. Bring them today at 3.30. They're going to be doing a choir practice. So bring your kids because we're having Christmas Eve service December 24th at 5 p.m. So put that on the calendar. Amen. Um, who enjoyed this morning's service? Amen. Amen. Um, again, Matt and Amanda, thank you so very much for that wonderful word. Everyone, be blessed. And again, remember, there'll be lunch being served for membership class. Amen. Thank you.